Section 3 of Selections from Fear and Trembling, translated by Lee M. Hollander. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Preliminary Expectoration An old saying derived from the world of experience has it that he who will not work shall not eat but strange to say this does not hold true in the world where it is thought applicable for in the world of matter the law of imperfection prevails and we see again and again that he also who will not work has bread to eat indeed that he who sleeps has a greater abundance of it than he who works in the world of matter everything belongs to whosoever happens to possess it it is thrall to the law of indifference and he who happens to possess the ring also has the spirit of the ring at his beck and call whether now he be noureddin or aladdin and he who controls the treasures of this world controls them howsoever he managed to do so it is different in the world of spirit there an eternal and divine order obtains there the rain does not fall on the just and the unjust alike nor does the sun shine on the good and the evil alike. But there the saying does hold true, that he who will not work shall not eat, and only he who was troubled shall find rest, and only he who descends into the nether world shall rescue his beloved, and only he who unsheathes his knife shall be given Isaac again. There he who will not work shall not eat, but shall be deceived, as the gods deceived Orpheus with an immaterial figure instead of his beloved Eurydice, deceived him because he was lovesick and not courageous, deceived him because he was a player on the cythra rather than a man. There it avails not to have an Abraham for one's father, or to have seventeen ancestors. But in that world the saying about Israel's maidens will hold true of him who will not work. He shall bring forth wind, but he who will work shall give birth to his own father. There is a kind of learning which would presumptuously introduce into the world of spirit the same law of indifference under which the world of matter groans. It is thought that to know about great men and great deeds is quite sufficient, and that other exertion is not necessary. And therefore this learning shall not eat, but shall perish of hunger while seeing all things transformed into gold by its touch and what forsooth does this learning really know there were many thousands of contemporaries and countless men in after times who knew all about the triumphs of miltilides but there was only one whom they rendered sleepless there have existed countless generations that knew by heart word for word the story of abraham but how many has it rendered sleepless now the story of abraham has the remarkable property of always being glorious in however limited a sense it is understood still here also the point is whether one means to labor or exert oneself now people do not care to labor and exert themselves but wish nevertheless to understand the story they extol abraham but how by expressing the matter in the most general terms and saying the great thing about him was that he loved god so ardently that he was willing to sacrifice to him his most precious possession that is very true 
but the most precious possession is an indefinite expression as one's thoughts and one's mouth run on one assumes in a very easy fashion the identity of isaac and the most precious possession and meanwhile he who is meditating may smoke his pipe and his audience comfortably stretch out their legs if the rich youth whom christ met on his way had sold all his possessions and given all to the poor we would extol him as we extol all which is great i would not understand even him without labor and yet would he never have become an abraham notwithstanding his sacrificing the most precious possessions he had that which people generally forget in the story of abraham is his fear and anxiety for as regards money one is not ethically responsible for it whereas for his son a father has the highest and most sacred responsibility however fear is a dreadful thing for timorous spirits so they omit it and yet they wish to speak of abraham so they keep on speaking and in the course of their speech the two terms isaac and the most precious thing are used alternately and everything is in the best order but now suppose that among the audience there was a man who suffered with sleeplessness and then the most terrible and profound the most tragic and at the same time the most comic misunderstanding is within the range of possibility that is suppose this man goes home and wishes to do as did abraham for his son is his most precious possession if a certain preacher learned of this he would perhaps go to him he would gather up all his spiritual dignity and exclaim thou abominable creature thou scum of humanity what devil possessed thee to wish to murder thy son and this preacher who had not felt any particular warmth nor perspired while speaking about abraham this preacher would be astonished himself at the earnest wrath with which he poured forth his thunders against that poor wretch indeed he would rejoice over himself for never had he spoken with such power and unction and he would have said to his wife i am an orator the only thing i have lacked so far was the occasion last sunday when speaking about abraham i did not feel thrilled in the least now if this same orator had just a bit of sense to spare i believe he would lose it if the sinner would reply in a quiet and dignified manner why it was on this very same matter you preached last sunday but however could the preacher have entertained such thoughts still such was the case and the preacher's mistake was merely not knowing what he was talking about ah would that some poet might see his way clear to prefer such a situation to the stuff and nonsense of which novels and comedies are full for the comic and the tragic here run parallel to infinity the sermon probably was ridiculous enough in itself but it became infinitely ridiculous through the very natural consequence it had or suppose now the sinner was converted by this lecture without daring to raise any objection and this zealous divine now went home elated glad in the consciousness of being effective not only in the pulpit but chiefly and with irresistible power as a spiritual guide inspiring his congregation on sunday whilst on monday he would place himself like a cherub with flaming sword before the man who by his actions tried to give the lie to the old saying that the course of the world follows not the priest's word if on the other hand the sinner were not convinced of his error his position would become tragic he would probably be executed 
or else sent to the lunatic asylum at any rate he would become a sufferer in this world but in another sense i should think that abraham rendered him happy for he who labors he shall not perish now how shall we explain the contradiction contained in that sermon is it due to abraham's having the reputation of being a great man so that whatever he does is great but if another man should undertake to do the same it is a sin a heinous sin if this be the case i prefer not to participate in such thoughtless laudations if faith cannot make it a sacred thing to wish to sacrifice one's son then let the same judgment be visited on abraham as on any other man and if we perchance lack the courage to drive our thoughts to the logical conclusion and to say that abraham was a murderer then it were better to acquire that courage rather than to waste one's time on undeserved encomiums. the fact is the ethical expression for what abraham did is that he wanted to murder isaac the religious that he wanted to sacrifice him but precisely in this contradiction is contained the fear which may well rob one of one's sleep yet abraham were not abraham without this fear or again supposing abraham did not do what is attributed to him if his action was an entirely different one based on conditions of those times then let us forget him for what is the use of calling to mind that past which can no longer become a present reality or the speaker had perhaps forgotten the essential fact that isaac was the son or if faith is eliminated having been reduced to a mere nothing then only the brutal fact remains that abraham wanted to murder isaac which is easy for everybody to imitate who has not the faith the faith that is which renders it most difficult for him love has its priests in the poets and one hears at times a poet's voice which worthily extols it but not a word does one hear of faith who is there to speak in honour of that passion philosophy goes right on theology sits at the window with a painted visage and sues for philosophy's favour offering it her charms it is said to be difficult to understand the philosophy of hegel but to understand abraham why that is an easy matter to proceed further than hegel is a wonderful feat but to proceed further than abraham why nothing is easier personally i have devoted a considerable amount of time to the study of hegelian philosophy and believe i understand it fairly well in fact i am rash enough to say that when notwithstanding an effort i am not able to understand him in some passages it is because he is not entirely clear about the matter himself all this intellectual effort i perform easily and naturally and it does not cause my head to ache on the other hand whenever i attempt to think about abraham i am as it were overwhelmed at every moment i am aware of the enormous paradox which forms the content of abraham's life at every moment i am repulsed and my thoughts notwithstanding its passionate attempts cannot penetrate into it cannot forge on the breadth of a hair i strain every muscle in order to envisage the problem and become a paralytic in the same moment i am by no means unacquainted with what has been admired as great and noble my soul feels kinship with it being satisfied in all humility that it was also my cause the hero espoused 
and when contemplating his deed i say to myself jam tua kazu ajitur i am able to identify myself with the hero but i cannot do so with abraham for whenever i have reached his height i fall down again since he confronts me as the paradox it is by no means my intention to maintain that faith is something inferior but on the contrary that it is the highest of all things also that it is dishonest in philosophy to offer something else instead and to pour scorn on faith but it ought to understand its own nature in order to know what it can offer it should take away nothing least of all fool people out of something as if it were of no value i am not unacquainted with the sufferings and dangers of life but i do not fear them and cheerfully go forth to meet them but my courage is not for all that the courage of faith and is as nothing compared with it i cannot carry out the movement of faith i cannot close my eyes and confidently plunge into the absurd it is impossible for me but neither do i boast of it now i wonder if every one of my contemporaries is really able to perform the movements of faith unless i am much mistaken they are rather inclined to be proud of making what they perhaps think me unable to do viz the imperfect movement it is repugnant to my soul to do what is so often done to speak inhumanly about great deeds as if a few thousand of years were an immense space of time i prefer to speak about them in a human way and as though they had been done but yesterday to let the great deed itself be the distance which either inspires or condemns me now if i in the capacity of tragic hero for a higher flight i am unable to take if i had been summoned to such an extraordinary royal progress as was the one to mount moriah i know very well what i would have done i would have not been craven enough to remain at home neither would i have dawdled on the way nor would i have forgot my knife just to draw out the end of it but i am rather sure that i would have been promptly on the spot with everything in order in fact would probably have been there before the appointed time so as to have the business soon over with but i know also what i would have done besides in the moment i mounted my horse i would have said to myself now all is lost god demands isaac i shall sacrifice him and with him all my joy but for all that god is love and will remain so for me for in this world god and i cannot speak together we have no language in common possibly one or the other of my contemporaries will be stupid enough and jealous enough of great deeds to wish to persuade himself and me that if i had acted thus i should have done something even greater than what abraham did for my sublime resignation was he thinks by far more ideal and poetic than abraham's literal-minded action and yet this is absolutely not so for my sublime resignation was only a substitute for faith i could not have made more than the infinite movement of resignation to find myself and again repose in myself nor would i have loved isaac as abraham loved him the fact that i was resolute enough to resign is sufficient to prove my courage in a human sense and the fact that i loved him with my whole heart is the very presupposition without which my action would be a crime 
but still i did not love as did abraham for else i would have hesitated even in the last minute without for that matter arriving too late on mount moriah also i would have spoiled the whole business by my behavior for if i had had isaac restored to me i would have been embarrassed that which was an easy matter for abraham would have been difficult for me i mean to rejoice again in isaac for he who with all the energy of his soul proprio moto et proprius auspicius has made the infinite movement of resignation and can do no more he will retain possession of isaac only in his sorrow but what did abraham he arrived neither too early nor too late he mounted his ass and rode slowly on his way and all the while he had faith believing that god would not demand isaac of him though ready all the while to sacrifice him should it be demanded of him he believed this on the strength of the absurd for there was no question of human calculation any longer and the absurdity consisted in gods who yet made this demand of him recalling his demand the very next moment abraham ascended the mountain and whilst the knife already gleamed in his hand he believed that god would not demand isaac of him he was to be sure surprised at the outcome but by a double movement he had returned at his first state of mind and therefore received isaac back more gladly than the first time on this height then stands abraham the last stage he loses sight of is that of infinite resignation he does really proceed further he arrives at faith for all these caricatures of faith wretched lukewarm sloth which thinks oh there is no hurry it is not necessary to worry before the time comes and miserable hopefulness which says one cannot know what will happen there might perhaps all these caricatures belong to the sordid view of life and have already fallen under the infinite scorn of infinite resignation abraham i am not able to understand and in a certain sense i can learn nothing from him without being struck with wonder they who flatter themselves that by merely considering the outcome of abraham's story they will necessarily arrive at faith only deceive themselves and wish to cheat god out of the first movement of faith it were tantamount to deriving worldly wisdom from the paradox and who knows one or the other of them may succeed in doing this for our times are not satisfied with faith and not even with the miracle of changing water into wine they go right on changing wine into water is it not preferable to remain satisfied with faith and is it not outrageous that every one wishes to go right on if people in our times decline to be satisfied with love as is proclaimed from various sides where will we finally land in worldly shrewdness in mean calculation in paltriness and baseness in all that which renders man's divine origin doubtful were it not better to stand fast in the faith and better that he that standeth take heed lest he fall for the movement of faith must ever be made by virtue of the absurd but note well in such wise that one does not lose the things of this world but wholly and entirely regains them as far as i am concerned i am able to describe most excellently the movements of faith 
but I cannot make them myself. When a person wishes to learn how to swim, he has himself suspended in a swimming belt, and then goes through the motions. But that does not mean that he can swim. In the same fashion, I too can go through the motions of faith. But when I am thrown into the water, I swim. To be sure, for I am not a wader in the shallows, but I go through a different set of movements, to wit, those of infinity. Whereas faith does the opposite, to wit, makes the movements to regain the finite, after having made those of infinite resignation. Blessed is he who can make these movements, for he performs a marvelous feat, and I shall never weary of admiring him, whether now it be Abraham himself, or the slave in Abraham's house, whether it be a professor of philosophy, or poor servant girl. It is all the same to me, for I have regard only to the movements. But these movements I watch closely, and I will not be deceived, whether by myself or by anyone else. The knights of infinite resignation are easily recognized, for their gait is dancing and bold, but they who possess the jewel of faith frequently deceive one because their bearing is curiously like that of a class of people hardly despised by infinite resignation as well as by faith. The Philistines let me admit frankly that i have not in my experience encountered any certain specimen of this type but i do not refuse to admit that as far as i know every other person may be such a specimen at the same time i will say that i have searched vainly for years for it is the custom of scientists to travel around the globe to see rivers and mountains new stars gay-colored birds misshapen fish ridiculous races of men they abandon themselves to a bovine stupor which gapes at existence and believe they have seen something worth while. All this does not interest me, but if I knew where there lives such a night of faith, I would journey to him on foot, for that marvel occupies my thoughts exclusively. Not a moment would I leave him out of sight, but would watch how he makes the movements, and I would consider myself provided for life and would divide my time between watching him and myself practicing the movements, and would thus use all my time in admiring him. As I said, I have not met with such a one, but I can easily imagine him. Here he is. I make his acquaintance, and am introduced to him. The first moment I lay my eyes on him, I push him back, leaping back myself. I hold up my hands in amazement, and say to myself, Good Lord, that person! is it really he why he looks like a parish beetle but it is really he i become more closely acquainted with him watching his every movement to see whether some trifling incongruous movement of his has escaped me some trace perchance of a signalling from the infinite a glance a look a gesture a melancholy air or a smile which might betray the presence of infinite resignation contrasting with the finite but no i examine his figure from top to toe to discover whether there be anywhere a chink through which the infinite might be seen to peer forth but no he is of a piece all through and how about his footing vigorous altogether that of finiteness no citizen dressed in his very best prepared to spend his sunday afternoon in the park treads the ground more firmly he belongs altogether to this world, no Philistine more so. 
there is no trace of the somewhat exclusive and haughty demeanor which marks off the night of infinite resignation he takes pleasure in all things is interested in everything and perseveres in whatever he does with the zest characteristic of persons wholly given to worldly things he attends to his business and when one sees him one might think he was a clerk who had lost his soul in doing double bookkeeping he is so exact he takes a day off on sundays he goes to church but no hint of anything supernatural or any other sign of the incommensurable betrays him and if one did not know him it would be impossible to distinguish him in the congregation for his brisk and manly singing proves only that he has a pair of good lungs in the afternoon he walks out to the forest he takes delight in all he sees in the crowds of men and women the new omnibuses the sound if one met him on the promenade one might think he was some shopkeeper who was having a good time so simple is his joy for he is not a poet and in vain i have tried to lure him into betraying some sign of the poet's detachment toward evening he walks home again with a gait as steady as that of a mail carrier on his way he happens to wonder whether his wife will have some little special warm dish ready for him when he comes home as she surely has as for instance a roasted lamb's head garnished with greens and if he met one minded like him he is very likely to continue talking about this dish with him till they reach the east gate and to talk about it with a zest befitting a chef as it happens he has not four shillings to spare and yet he firmly believes that his wife surely has that dish ready for him if she has it would be an enviable sight for distinguished people and an inspiring one for common folks to see him eat for he has an appetite greater than esau's his wife has not prepared it strange he remains altogether the same again on his way he passes a building lot and there meets another man they fall to talking and in a trice he erects a building freely disposing of everything necessary and the stranger will leave him with the impression that he has been talking with a capitalist the fact being that the night of my admiration is busy with the thought that if it really came to the point he would unquestionably have the means wherewithal at his disposal now he is lying on his elbows in the window and looking over the square at which he lives all that happens there if it be only a rat creeping into a gutter hole or children playing together everything engages his attention and yet his mind is at rest as though it were the mind of a girl of sixteen he smokes his pipe in the evening and to look at him you would swear it was the greengrocer from across the street who was lounging at the window in the evening twilight thus he shows as much unconcern as any worthless happy-go-lucky fellow and yet every moment he lives he purchases his leisure at the highest price for he makes not the least movement except by virtue of the absurd and yet yet indeed i might become furious with anger if for no other reason than that of envy and yet this man has performed and is performing every moment the movement of infinity he has resigned everything absolutely and then again seized hold of it all on the strength of the absurd but this miracle may so easily deceive one that it will be best if i describe the movements in a given case 
which may illustrate their aspect in contact with reality and that is the important point suppose then a young swain falls in love with a princess and all his life is bound up in this love but circumstances are such that it is out of the question to think of marrying her an impossibility to translate his dreams into reality the slaves of paltriness the frogs in the sloughs of life they will shout of course such a love is folly the rich brewer's widow is quite as good and solid a match let them but croak the knight of infinite resignation does not follow their advice he does not surrender his love not for all the riches in the world he is no fool he first makes sure that this love really is the contents of his life for his soul is too sound and too proud to waste itself on mere intoxication he is no coward he is not afraid to let his love insinuate itself into the most secret and most remote thoughts to let it wind itself in innumerable coils about every fibre of his consciousness if he is disappointed in his love he will never be able to extricate himself again he feels a delicious pleasure in letting love thrill his every nerve and yet his soul is solemn as is that of him who has drained a cup of poison and who now feels the virus mingle with every drop of his blood poised in that moment between life and death having thus imbibed love and being wholly absorbed in it he does not lack the courage to try and dare all he surveys the whole situation he calls together his swift thoughts which like tame pigeons obey his every beck he gives the signal and they dart in all directions but when they return every one bearing a message of sorrow and explain to him that it is impossible then he becomes silent he dismisses them he remains alone and then he makes the movement now if what i say here is to have any significance it is of prime importance that the movement be made in a normal fashion the night of resignation is supposed to have sufficient energy to concentrate the entire contents of his life and the realization of the existing conditions into one single wish but if one lacks this concentration this devotion to a single thought if his soul from the very beginning is scattered on a number of objects he will never be able to make the movement he will be as worldly wise in the conduct of his life as the financier who invests his capital in a number of securities to win on the one if he should lose on the other that is he is no knight furthermore the knight is supposed to possess sufficient energy to concentrate all his thought into a single act of consciousness if he lacks this concentration he will only run errands in life and will never be able to assume the attitude of infinite resignation for the very minute he approaches it he will suddenly discover that he forgot something so that he must remain behind the next minute thinks he it will be attainable again and so it is but such inhibitions will never allow him to make the movement but will rather tend to let him sink ever deeper into the mire our knight then performs the movement which movement is he intent on forgetting the whole affair which too would presuppose much concentration no for the knight does not contradict himself and it is a contradiction to forget the main contents of one's life and still remain the same person and he has no desire to become another person 
neither does he consider such a desire to smack of greatness only lower natures forget themselves and become something different thus the butterfly has forgotten that it was once a caterpillar who knows but it may forget altogether that it once was a butterfly and turn into a fish deeper natures never forget themselves and never change their essential qualities so the knight remembers all but precisely this remembrance is painful nevertheless in his infinite resignation he has become reconciled with existence his love for the princess has become for him the expression of an eternal love has assumed a religious character has been transfigured into a love for the eternal being which to be sure denied him the fulfilment of his love yet reconciled him again by presenting him with the abiding consciousness of his loves being preserved in an everlasting form of which no reality can rob him now he is no longer interested in what the princess may do and precisely this proves that he has made the movement of infinite resignation correctly in fact this is a good criterion for detecting whether a person's movement is sincere or just make-believe take a person who believes that he too has resigned but lo time passed the princess has done something on her part for example married a prince and then his soul lost the elasticity of its resignation this ought to show him that he did not make the movement correctly for he who has resigned absolutely is sufficient unto himself the knight does not cancel his resignation but preserves his love as fresh and young as it was at the first movement he never lets go of it just because his resignation is absolute whatever the princess does cannot disturb him for it is only the lower natures who have the law for their actions in some other person i e have the premises of their actions outside of themselves infinite resignation is the last stage which goes before faith so that every one who has not made the movement of infinite resignation cannot have faith for only through absolute resignation do i become conscious of my eternal worth and only then can there arise the problem of again grasping hold of this world by virtue of faith we will now suppose the knight of faith in the same case he does precisely as the other knight he absolutely resigns the love which is the contents of his life he is reconciled to the pain but then the miraculous happens he makes one more movement strange beyond comparison saying and still i believe that i shall marry her marry her by virtue of the absurd by virtue of the act that to god nothing is impossible now the absurd is not one of the categories which belong to the understanding proper it is not identical with the improbable the unforeseen the unexpected the very moment our knight resigned himself he made sure of the absolute impossibility in any human sense of his love this was the result reached by his reflections and he had sufficient energy to make them in a transcendent sense however by his very resignation the attainment of his end is not impossible but this very act of again taking possession of his love is at the same time a relinquishment of it nevertheless this kind of possession is by no means an absurdity to the intellect for the intellect all the while continues to be right as it is aware that in the world of finalities in which reason rules his love was and is an impossibility 
the knight of faith realizes this fully well hence the only thing which can save him is recourse to the absurd and this recourse he has through his faith that is he clearly recognizes the impossibility and in the same moment he believes the absurd for if he imagined he had faith without at the same time recognizing with all the passion his soul is capable of that his love is impossible he would be merely deceiving himself and his testimony would be of no value since he had not arrived even at the stage of absolute resignation this last movement the paradoxical movement of faith i cannot make whether or no it be my duty although i desire nothing more ardently than to be able to make it it must be left to a person's discretion whether he cares to make this confession and at any rate it is a matter between him and the eternal being who is the object of his faith whether an amicable adjustment can be effected but what every person can do is to make the movement of absolute resignation and i for my part would not hesitate to declare him a coward who imagines he cannot perform it it is a different matter with faith but what no person has a right to is to delude others into the belief that faith is something of no great significance or that it is an easy matter whereas it is the greatest and most difficult of all things but the story of abraham is generally interpreted in a different way god's mercy is praise which restored isaac to him it was but a trial a trial this word may mean much or little and yet the whole of it passes off as quickly as the story is told one mounts a winged horse in the same instant one arrives on mount moriah and presto one sees the ram it is not remembered that abraham only rode on an ass which travels but slowly that it was a three days journey for him and that he required some additional time to collect the firewood to bind isaac and to whet his knife and yet one extols abraham he who is to preach the sermon may sleep comfortably until a quarter of an hour before he is to preach it and the listener may comfortably sleep during the sermon for everything is made easy enough without much exertion either to the preacher or listener but now suppose a man was present who suffered with sleeplessness and who went home and sat in a corner and reflected as follows the whole lasted but a minute you need only wait a little while and then the ram will be shown and the trial will be over now if the preacher should find him in this frame of mind i believe he would confront him in all his dignity and say to him wretch thou art to let thy soul lapse into such folly miracles do not happen all life is a trial and as he proceeded he would grow more and more passionate and would become ever more satisfied with himself and whereas he had not noticed any congestion in his head whilst preaching about abraham he now feels the veins on his forehead swell yet who knows but he would stand aghast if the sinner should answer him in a quiet and dignified manner that it was precisely this about which he preached the sunday before let us then either waive the whole story of abraham or else learn to stand in awe of the enormous paradox which constitutes his significance for us so that we may learn to understand that our age like every age may rejoice if it has faith if the story of abraham is not a mere nothing an illusion or if it is just used for show and as a pastime 
the mistake cannot by any means be in the sinner's wishing to do likewise but it is necessary to find out how great was the deed which abraham performed in order that the man may judge for himself whether he has the courage and the mission to do likewise the comical contradiction in the procedure of the preacher was his reduction of the story of abraham to insignificance whereas he rebuked the other man for doing the very same thing but should we then cease to speak about abraham i certainly think not but if i were to speak about him i would first of all describe the terrors of his trial to that end leech-like i would suck all the suffering and distress out of the anguish of a father in order to be able to describe what abraham suffered whilst yet preserving his faith i would remind the hearer that the journey lasted three days and a goodly part of the fourth in fact these three and a half days ought to become infinitely longer than the few thousand years which separate me from abraham i would remind him as i think right that every person is still permitted to turn about before trying his strength on this formidable task in fact that he may return every instant in repentance provided this is done i fear for nothing nor do i fear to awaken great desire among people to attempt to emulate abraham but to get out a cheap edition of abraham and yet forbid every one to do as he did that i call ridiculous end of section three end of selections from fear and trembling by soren kierkegaard translated by lee m hollander eighteen eighty to nineteen seventy two